James 1 verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, I just uh, wanted to thank Graham actually for uh, drawing our attention to the persecuted church this morning. It's just uh, he uh, suggested a number of weeks ago that it would be a really helpful thing to do and an important thing to do, and I think it's been just tremendously encouraging uh, to to remember our brothers and sisters who are suffering throughout the world. Uh, I was um, reminded of uh, of that saying. Uh, I was with the youth this week, and uh, I use it there as well, that saying that the gospel is a free gift, but it costs us everything to receive. Uh, you know, that is that we have to give up our lives uh, and follow Jesus. Or as the old believers used to say, no cross, no crown. You know, unless we take up the cross of Jesus, there's no crown at the end of it. And there are uh, brothers and sisters of Jesus who know the reality of that cross uh, and are looking forward to that same crown uh, that, that many of us, too, are looking forward to as well. Let's, uh, let's pray as we come to God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a loving God uh, and that you offer us the gospel as a free gift Uh, And Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear uh, that offer, that invitation uh, of your loving kindness. And Lord, that we would have the faith uh, through your Holy Spirit to receive those words, to believe them, and to put them into practice. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, there's a famous conversation uh, in the Sherlock Sherlock Holmes novel, A Scandal in Bohemia, where Holmes points out to Watson that his problem is, Watson, that you see, but you do not observe. You see, but you do not observe. Uh, To illustrate the point, Holmes asks Watson how many times he's walked up the stairs uh, into their 221B Baker Street Street apartment. And Watson says, well, look, I've walked up these stairs hundreds of times... Uh, And how many steps are there, Holmes says. Uh, And he shrugs, 
You know, Watson has no idea. Uh, He's walked up those stairs hundreds of times, but he has no idea how many steps there are. Uh, And Holmes is pointing out a profound point, a simple point, but a profound point, that often we see things, but we don't actually observe. We don't really take notice of what's going on. Uh, And in the same way, I think, we often hear, but don't listen. Uh, When I was growing up, there was a kind of nightly ritual uh, at about 8.30 at night, my mum would kind of offer to make everybody a, a hot drink or something like that, and she'd ask everybody what they wanted, and uh, everybody would kind of respond, and then, you know, a little bit later, the drinks would come out, you know, and, uh, and every now and again, more often than not, actually, something like this would play out. Someone would say something like, did I say that I wanted a cup of tea? And mum would go, yeah, I asked you, do you want a cup of tea? And you said, yes, I'll have a cup of tea, thanks. Oh, I don't remember that. You sure you asked me? Yes, I I remember asking you. Uh, It's amazing, I think, how often we hear and how often we actually even respond to things but haven't really listened to what's going on. And sometimes that doesn't matter too much. Uh, In the case of a hot drink, well, you know, it's not very nice for the person who's making it, but it's not the end of the world. But what if somebody really, really important is speaking? And what if the thing that they're saying is really, really important? What if we don't listen then? What if the words that we're not listening to, the words that we're hearing but not paying attention to, what if those words are words of, of life or death? What if those words are a matter of eternal life or eternal death? Then the stakes for not listening go up dramatically. And really that's what James is on about in this passage that we're looking at uh, this morning that we just read. This whole passage is about hearing and not just about hearing but about the right kind of hearing. Uh, The question is this, not have we heard God but have we listened to what God has said? That's the question we need to ask ourselves as we read this passage this morning. Not, have I heard God, but have I actually listened to what he said? So in the first part of the letter that we looked at last week, James was talking about suffering, and now he moves on to this issue of hearing and listening. And he begins with a number of observations about the importance of listening in human relationships. So he says in verse 19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Uh, Or as a friend of mine once said, we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. But of course, as is so often the case, we get it the wrong way around. That is... We're slow to listen and quick to speak. I'm sure we've all been in those conversations where we're not really listening to anybody else. Uh, What we're actually doing is just waiting for our turn to come around. Uh, And everybody's just sitting there on the edge of their seat, waiting for the other person to stop talking so that you can jump in with your great profundity. Uh, What happens is you just kind of, you're not really listening, you just kind of zone out. Uh, and the words just kind of wash over you. And what, you, what you're actually doing is, apparently, what you're actually doing is formulating your own great words that you're about to speak. Okay, what I'll say, and I can just put it like that, and, and it will be really funny and witty. 
I don't have to do that. What I say just is witty. Uh, so I'm a great listener. Uh, that means I'm a great listener. But don't laugh, Jordan. I really am. Uh, but we've all been in situations like that where we're not really listening. We're just waiting for our turn to speak. And what, what that means is we're not paying attention to what people are saying. Uh, the problem with speaking quickly is that it means that we haven't listened. But the Bible actually speaks a lot of times about the value of listening as opposed to speaking. So here are some examples from Proverbs. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Wow, life or death. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Uh, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Or in another translation, uh, it goes... Uh, where, sin, where words are many, sin is not absent. I love that. Where words are many, sin is not absent. Uh, whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. Uh, or think of Job's friends. Uh, they didn't get much right, but the one thing that they did, what, did nail was that they waited for about a week before they said anything. Before they said anything, they just sat and listened. But we live in a world of hasty words. Now, the world of social media encourages and rewards hasty words. Uh, in the past, you had to wait a couple of days before you could respond to anything, and that was actually good. You know, someone would say something to you, and you couldn't respond straight away with a tweet or a post on Facebook or whatever it was, or an email, a text message. You had to wait until you'd see them again. But now we can respond to things in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So think about something like the rolling Twitter feed at the bottom of Q&A. What does that do? Well, that encourages a culture of speaking and responding rather than listening and reflecting. Uh, Maybe, just maybe, the best way that we can live our lives in our society uh, is not to immediately tweet what we think in response to somebody's comment, but actually to give them the time of day and their ideas the time of day to actually stop and think about them. To maybe actually think about them for more than just a few seconds. To even think about them for a few days. Wouldn't that be remarkable to live life like that? Or think about the powerful potential that social media has to destroy people's lives through hasty speech and angry responses. Uh, There was a New York Times article a number of years ago by a guy called John Ronson. He's actually written a whole book about the idea of public shaming, which is kind of growing in uh, in popularity. And he detailed the life of one woman. Her name was uh, Justine Sacco. And she posted what could only be described, I think, as an ill-judged tweet. Uh, So she said this lady, Justine Sacco, tweeted on sort of sitting in the airport lounge, going to Africa... Hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. Uh, In her defence, I think the comment was not racist, as intentionally racist, as much as a backhanded comment about racial disparity in Africa and other parts of the world. Well, she boarded the plane with 170 Twitter followers, uh, and 11 hours later, all hell broke loose... She was the number one topic trending on Twitter worldwide as people piled on the hate. 
John Ronson writes powerfully, it's an incredible article, he writes powerfully about the effect of that global hatred funneled through social media. He says, for the past two years, I've been interviewing individuals like Justine Sacco, everyday people pilloried brutally, most often for posting some poorly considered joke on social media. Whenever possible, I met them in person to truly grasp the emotional toll at the other end of our screens. The people I met were mostly unemployed. That's because the pressure is always put on the company to fire those people. The people I met were mostly unemployed, fired for their transgressions, and they seemed broken somehow, deeply confused and traumatised. Uh, the social media angry mob mentality rewards people speaking hastily rather than listening and reflecting. And in fact, the problem is so significant in our culture that it's now a problem if somebody doesn't respond to something straight away. So our news media actually demands that politicians respond to ideas and to thoughts immediately. And if they don't respond to thoughts and ideas immediately, then it's actually a dereliction of their duty. They're not doing what we're paying them to do. But that, that allows no time for people to reflect and consider things. What if the best response of our politicians was to say something like, well, you know what, I've not thought about that before. I need to give that idea some thought. Let me think about it, and I'll get back to you in a couple of days. But we don't allow for that kind of thing. Uh, so, too, there have been a number of cases recently where public figures have been pilloried uh, for not denouncing things quickly enough on their Twitter or Facebook feeds. Uh, so, kind of the most obvious recent example is the allegations against Harvey Weinstein, which were aired recently, and a number of people, famous actors, and even uh, Hillary Clinton, the former uh, presidential candidate, uh, they were criticised for waiting days to say anything in response to the allegations. We demand hasty words. But we do that kind of thing in other ways too. It's not just uh, publicly. We send a text message or an email and if someone doesn't reply within a few minutes or a few hours, we get kind of edgy. That is, what we demand from people is that they respond immediately rather than think and reflect. What's the result uh, of that kind of hasty speech? Well, James says that the result all too often is anger. We get angry, our speech is angry, and then other people get angry at us as well. And it just, it becomes a nightmare because we fail to listen and we simply speak. And it's no wonder, I think, that our society is becoming increasingly fractious. It's no wonder that our politics and our public discourse is becoming increasingly fractious because we all just keep speaking and no one's ever stopping to listen. So how can we grow in being quick to listen uh, and slow to speak? Well, here's one example that someone shared with me a number of years ago, and I think it's a helpful idea, and I think it gives some kind of ideas about how we can, uh, kind of general principles uh, that we might take in, in, in being more uh, keen listeners. Uh, so this person said to me that if they got a difficult email, so they were in a situation, they were in a workplace where often they would get complaints from people, uh, or people would raise concerns, they're in a position of significant authority, uh, and what they would do then is that they would uh, uh, that they would print out the email uh, and then read it and then put it aside for a couple of days. Uh, and only after a couple of days would they respond to that email. Uh, 
Uh, why would they do that? Well, usually they would do it because if you respond straight away, you respond in anger or resentment rather than with calm uh, and sensible reflection. Uh, so after a couple of days, if you've thought about that, if you've read that, uh, then uh, you're more likely to be open to the possibility that what that person has said might be true. You know, the first moment that you get it, you think, uh, well, that's not true. But then if you take a couple of days, you might begin to go, well, actually, maybe there's a grain of truth uh, in what they've said. Uh, alternatively, uh, or additionally, I should say, if you take some time to think about it, even if what they've said is ridiculous, by the time you get around to writing the response, uh, you're more likely to respond to that graciously uh, and in a way that diffuses the situation. That is, the anger has subsided and you're more likely to address it kind of objectively. So time actually helps us to be gentle, to listen uh, and to respond compassionately, instead of shouting past each other, we need to learn to listen and to think, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. But uh, the remedy to anger and malicious and unkind words is not just, James wants us to understand, the remedy to that is not just listening to each other, but actually, as well as that, we need to listen to God. Uh, so he goes on, we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Therefore, James says in verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. James says that the remedy to anger and filthy and wicked words is receiving the word of truth from God. It would be a mistake to think it would be a mistake for us to leave here thinking that the most important listening that we can do is to listen to each other. That's important. Uh, that is important. But if it's bad enough not to listen to each other, then how much worse is it not to listen to God? Like in the conversation where you're hearing but not really listening, uh, just waiting for your turn to speak, James says that we, not, we, we need to simply, not simply listen to uh, hear what God is saying, but we need to listen in such a way that we do what he says. That is, we, we don't want just, just, just want God's words to wash over us. What we want is for God's words to penetrate into our hearts and into our lives and into our actions. So verse 22, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Why? Because verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So to only hear and not do, James says, is basically to be a complete fool. Uh, it's like the person who looks in the mirror but then can't remember what they saw. Now, some of you... That's the reason that you look in the mirror all the time is not because you can't remember. You just like the look of your own appearance. You know, how you doing? Uh, you know. Uh, yeah, try. That's what you do. But uh, some people are just going back to the mirror because they like what they see. But some people are, uh, James is saying, no, there are some people who, who look in the mirror and then walk away and they go, oh, actually, what did I just see? And they have to go back. That is, you're a complete idiot. You can't even remember what it is that you saw. 
Here are some other examples of the same kinds of, uh, the same kinds of attitudes. Uh, so, it's like the person who goes to the doctor and the doctor says, unless you take this medication, you're going to die. And then that person goes home and doesn't take the medication. Or, it's like the student whose teacher tells them, this will definitely be on the exam. Yes. The nervous laughter of people who've done that. And then that person goes home and they don't study it. Or like the child whose parents say, don't play with the cricket ball in the backyard. Uh, and then the child who does that and the ball ends up going through the window. Uh, to look in the mirror and then to forget what we've seen is to be stupid and yet how easy it is to be like that person. To hear the words and then not to do them. So here's the important question, I think, that we need to ask to assess whether we as individuals, whether you as an individual, are a hearer or whether you're a doer. Here's the question. When was the last time that hearing God's word changed the way that you lived? When was the last time hearing God's word changed the way that you lived? When was the last time that you read the Bible for yourself and it changed the way that you went out and lived for God? When was it that you read the Bible and it changed the decisions that you made? Uh, or, or how you thought about God or how you related to God? When was the last time that you came to church, you heard a sermon and it changed what you did? When was the last time you heard a sermon and it changed the way that you were going? Or, or, or it made you rely on Jesus more or led you to give up some sin or it made you long for eternity with God? When was the last time you left church and you were different to the person that you were on the way in? It may be that it was last week or it might be that it was yesterday. And it may be that that pattern, that that, that that change yesterday is at the end of a long pattern of being changed by God's word. You can look back over days and weeks and months and years and you can see that actually, yes, you've been hearing God and yes, your life is different. If that describes you, then, uh, you know, praise God because that's a sign that God is at work in your life. That's a sign. If God's word is changing you if it, and if you can see that, then that's a, a sign that you're not just a hearer but a doer. That you really listen. But if the last time that uh, your life was changed was, say, two years ago or three years ago or ten years ago, uh, or if your life has never actually changed as a result of kind of hearing God's word, then there's, that's probably a pretty good indication that you're not serious about actually listening to God. Uh, what you need to do, uh, if your life has never changed, you have to get real with God. Uh, that's because James says, God says, to only hear and not to do is to be deceived about where we stand with God. You know, there's lots of people who hear God. There's lots of people who hear God's words. There's lots of people who've heard the gospel, who've heard God's, word in the, God's words in the Bible. But there's just not many people who actually listen to what he's saying. There's not many people who hear God, who believe God's words, and who put them into practice. Now, of course, we can't always see 
uh, we can't always see clearly how God's word has been changing us. Uh, So it can be helpful then to actually ask God, God, I can't see how your word is changing me or has changed me. Could you show me? Could you show me how you've changed me through your word? Uh, And sometimes that can be a very encouraging thing to do because God shows us things that he's been doing over the last 20 years that we've never seen. Actually, sometimes it can be a very helpful thing to ask the people around you. Uh, How do you think God has been changing my life in the last however many years? What kind of person do you think I am? Am I a person who listens or am I just a person who hears and doesn't pay attention? But it's also good to be really honest with God sometimes, I think. In fact, it's always good to be honest with God. But it's sometimes, in this particular case, it's good to be honest with God and to say something like, well, God, I don't actually know whether I'm listening and doing. Uh, I don't know whether your words are just kind of washing over me and whether, or whether they're actually changing me. I don't know. So if I am, forgive me for that and, and help me to hear and actually do. It's always a good idea to say to God, well, if you don't know where you are, to say, God, I don't know where I am. Show me. If I'm not in the right place, put me in the right place. Now, there's nothing to be gained by trying to fool ourselves or the people around us into thinking that we're true hearers of God's words when we're not. We're better off just being honest with God and saying, God, I don't know. So if I'm not, make me a doer, forgive me and, and, and make me how you Uh, What do you want me to be? Uh, If your life is not being changed by God's words, then you're not really listening, you're hearing but not doing. And the first thing that you need to do, the first words that you need to put into practice are are the words of the gospel. That is, take up your cross and follow Jesus. And it needs to be said, I think, as well, that doing here is not just about being more good. Doing is not just kind of, uh, you know, becoming a a more clean-skinned kind of person. Doing also means more fundamentally putting the gospel into practice. Doing here means believing and trusting in Jesus. Uh, Doing means admitting your sins to God and trusting in the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. Doing means resting in Christ. Doing means praying for the Spirit to work in your life, the resurrection power of God. And James says that if you're in that place hearing the words of the gospel, believing them, putting them into practice. If you're in that place, then it's a good place to be. Verse 25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. They'll be blessed. It'll be good for them. In contrast to those who hear but don't do, those who look intently, who meditate on God's words, who chew over them, who pray over them, who remember them, who don't forget them, who seek to put them into practice, those people are blessed. They're blessed not because they've earned it. Wow, God's saying, look at how much doing that person's doing. They're not blessed because of that. They're blessed because doing God's word is good for us. It's instinctively good. Uh, God's word is sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. For some of us, we are listening to God's words in the Bible and because we love God and because we've tasted the goodness of living God's ways, we want to grow in that, don't we? We, we, You know, you might be sitting here here thinking to yourself, I'm listening to God and and I am putting his words into practice, but you know what? It's, It's so good to live for God 
that actually I want to grow in that? How do we do that? How do we grow in listening to God more and more? Uh, well, James doesn't give us a lot of detail on that, and, and so it's helpful to say a little bit about that, I think. Uh, and to give one example or one, yeah, one way, I think, that we can grow in listening to God. Uh, one thing I've found particularly helpful uh, over the last year, I think it must be, uh, came from a friend of mine uh, uh, who suggested that instead of reading a different passage of the Bible every day, that you read and meditate on one passage of the Bible for a whole week. So you read the same passage of the Bible every day for that week and pray over that passage in the Bible uh, every day of that week. The idea uh, being that, you know, that it kind of beds down in your life uh, a lot better. And I have to say, I found that incredibly helpful. I don't know if you've ever done that. Um, it's, I thought I might get a bit bored, uh, but actually it's been really good. Because it just, I'm a bit stupid, and it takes a long time for God's words to get into my head and into my heart, and then into my life. So if I'm every day going to a new passage of Scripture, I just, I just forget. Uh, I just forget what, uh, what it says. And as I've reflected on that idea this week, it struck me that actually that's probably a great way for us as a church to be interacting with the sermons that we hear every Sunday. That is, come on Sunday, listen to the sermon, and then for the rest of that week, keep reading that same passage. Uh, keep praying on it, keep reflecting on it, and keep seeking to put it into practice. Because otherwise what happens is you just go to Monday and you forget everything that you've heard, I'll forget everything that you've read, and you, it never actually works out in your life. Now, of course, you still might end up hearing without doing, but it's significant, I think, to, to notice that the path that James promotes here towards doing involves looking intently. That is, he says, the people who do are the people who look intently at the Word of God. They focus on it. They, they, they're, they're fixated on it. They're you know, before they walk away from the mirror, they're really studying what's there. It's not just a glance, you know, is my hair okay? But it's a deep study of what's going on in God's Word, which then works out in the rest of their life. It involves, and I think then, that meditating on the same passage of the Bible for a whole week is a great way, not a bad way, to, to go about that idea of focusing uh, intently. And as you do that, as you read that passage again and again, as you listen to it, you can pray, you can ask God to help you to grow in whatever it's talking about. So if you were to go home this week and to put that, this into practice, it would mean reading James 1, 19 to 27 every day of the week and then praying that God would help you to be a doer. Uh, it would be, mean confessing to him uh, those things that you know that you haven't done and then asking you, uh, God to help you to do them. It would mean asking God to make you quick to listen and slow to speak. It would mean asking God to make you a doer and not just a hearer. And as the week goes on, you'll probably have more insight into what that looks like. That is, you'll probably have more idea how you're just hearing and not doing. And so at the end of the week, you'll probably have more insight about what you need to confess to God and ask for his help through the Spirit. We need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And the person that we most need to listen to is God. And the kind of listening that we need to do is not just the kind that hears God's words, but the kind that puts them into practice. Finally then, James gives some specific examples of doing that uh, in the last 
few verses. And in particular, he circles back to where he began. Uh, He says that really listening to the Word of God and doing what it says means listening to others and keeping a tight rein on our tongue. So verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Uh, It seems that maybe the people in this church, for them, cruel and evil speech was an issue. Uh, That'll come up in a few weeks' time when uh, Nathan preaches on uh, on chapter 3. But the key point for the moment is that what you say reveals a, a lot about where you're at with God. James says that people who can't control their tongue, people who are, who are slow to listen and quick to speak, people who are, who are cruel and unkind in what they say, those people, whatever they say about knowing God, their words reveal something deeper. Their words reveal that they might be hearing God, but they're not actually doing what he says. Because God says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. But alongside uh, speech, there are two other things which James mentions that mark out true religion or mark out the real knowledge and love of God. And those two things are kindness and purity. So verse 27, religion that our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh, So while evil and unkind speech is a sign that God's love is not in our hearts, more positively, love and compassion for the most needy is a sign that God's love is in our hearts. So James focuses on love for the orphan and the widow. That's because in that day, in that age, uh, and in some ways it's still true today, but it was more the case then, to be a widow or an orphan was to be left without any means of provision. That is, uh, they had no source of income, there was no government safety net, there was no welfare... And so widows and orphans tended to be the people in the greatest need, uh, the greatest financial need especially. But what James is saying is that when we belong to Jesus, when we're listening to him and following him and trusting him, we'll inevitably be people of deep compassion and generosity. That will come, in our, come out in our lives. If we're, if we're listening to God, when God says, you know, love one another as I have loved you, then we'll be people who love one another as God has loved us. We'll give ourselves to those who are in need. We'll give to the poor. We'll give to, to help those among us who, who are in dire straits. Uh, we'll befriend the people that nobody else wants to befriend. We'll draw close to the people around us who are grieving or distressed or whose lives are falling apart rather than withdrawing away because we don't really want to be bothered with the difficulties of other people's lives. No kindness and compassion will flow out of us because we're people who hear God, believe his words and put them into practice. But it's not just kindness and compassion which marks out a real relationship with God. James also mentions here purity. Uh, it's, he, uh, he, says, he talks about those who keep themselves from being polluted by the world. So the world has a negative uh, effect on us that is the world that is not following God that world seeks to constantly draw us away from God and seeks to draw us away from following Jesus and the question for us is do we let that happen or is God changing us more and more to be like Jesus are we being negatively influenced by the world or are we actually by God's grace and mercy having a positive influence on the world around us uh, so are you in the world 
but not of the world? Or are you of the world, but not in it? Are you in the world, but not of the world? Are, are you of the world, but not in it? That is, are you so shaped by the world that you look exactly the same? And not in it with the intention of reaching people with the glorious message of Jesus Christ. You see, if you're really listening to Jesus and following him, then there will be places uh, in your life where what you do just kind of is completely out of sync with the way that everybody else around you is living. Uh, how you spend your Saturday night will be completely different to all the people uh, at your workplace. How you spend your money will be different to how everyone else around you is spending their money. Uh, how you speak to people will be totally different to how everyone else is speaking uh, to each other. How much you drink will be different to how, everyone, how much everyone else is drinking. What shows and movies you watch will be completely different to what everyone else is watching. Not because, not because there are rules to be followed. I can't possibly watch that. But because those things will just more and more cease to have any kind of joy in them. Because you won't want to watch them. Because God's words have so come into your heart and life that you're changed not just in your actions, but in your loves, in your desires, in your hopes and your aspirations. Those words of God, studied, looked at intently, as Cramner says, are deeply graven on the heart and at length turn almost into nature. If we're real listeners, people who not only hear but do, our lives will be different our speech will be different. Our hopes will be different. Our joys will be different. Our generosity and kindness will be different. And our character will dif be different. Don't just hear God, says God, put his words into practice. Let's pray for that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that your words... Do not leave us without insight into you and your character and your love and your mercy and your justice and your kindness and your righteousness and your purity. But Lord, we want to confess that often your words just wash over us uh, and make so little impact in our lives. Uh, you call us to obedience and we're slow to obey. And yet, Lord, there are some of us here undoubtedly who, despite that slowness, can honestly and truthfully say that we have heard you and we do put your words into practice ever so imperfectly, but truly and genuinely. Lord, we can look at our lives and we can see that the things that we love are not the things that we used to love. And the things that you used to draw our hearts no longer draw us. And the things that we used to do are not the things that we do anymore. And the people that we used to fail to love are now the people that we love ever so dearly. The people that we help and support and to whom we offer kindness and words of kindness, the people to whom we listen and pay attention 
eager to know the circumstances of their lives more than just tell them the circumstances of our own. Lord, thank you that some of us can look at our lives and see you at work, that your spirit has made us not just hearers but doers. But Lord, for those of us uh, perhaps who who look at their lives and uh, don't see a response to your word, for those who are just hearing and there's no evidence of putting your words into practice, Lord, we pray that you would work in their lives, that they might really receive your words, believe them uh, and do them. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.